I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. extending goodwill do you need me half as bad as you say or are you just feeling guilt i've been burned before and i know the score so you won't hear me complain will i be able to count on you or is your love in vain this is pod dylan the show that celebrates the work of bob dylan one song at a time proud member of the fire and water podcast network i'm your host of freewheeling rob kelly and joining us this week to talk about is your love in vain from the classic album street legal is singer-songwriter Roy Muller. Hi, Roy. Hi, Rob. How are you? I am doing great. Thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk about a song from Street Legal. Yes, it, I, uh, I discovered, uh, after we decided to do this song, um, I went back into the archives and I was like, when was the last time I, we did a song from Street Legal? Feels like it's been a long time. It's been five years. I don't know how that's possible. I don't know, because Street Legal is one of my favorite records of his. I have no idea why... People have suggested songs from the record, and I guess for one reason or the other, I just went with other songs. And I, I had no idea it had been this long. That is ridiculous uh, that it's taken this long to get to another Street Legal song. So I am very, very excited to talk uh, with you about this song, about this record, because, again, I just love it so much. And uh, I know you have a sort of a personal history with this record. So let's get right to it. Before we talk about the song, Roy, i got to ask you, how did you become a fan of Bob Dylan? Well, I think it was probably when I was about 14, and I used to listen to the local radio station for Edinburgh and the surrounding area. And uh, they had a rock show on in the evenings. And uh, I was listening one night and they played I'll Be Your Baby Tonight from John Wesley Harding. So that was mm-hmm. my f- introduction to Bob. Okay. And I think I'd, I was aware of Bob and his lyrics. You know, for reading, I was re- really into the Beatles. So I, I used to read biographies about the Beatles and I heard that Bob was the man who sung, sang about jewels and binoculars <laughs> hanging from the head of the mule. And yet my introduction to him is this <laughs> country love song. It's not even Rune representative. Spoon, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The, the classic, uh, what Bob was supposedly um, there to be against. And I thought, and I'd never heard his actual singing voice before. And I guess like a lot of people hearing Bob in whatever period, hearing that voice for the first time is strange. And for me, it just wasn't what I was expecting. It was this high, thin whine, you know, and coupled with these simple lyrics. I thought, this is the voice of the generation I've been reading about. (laughs) So I was intrigued, though, and uh, I started checking Bob out a bit more because I knew there must be more to him. Not that I didn't like the song, but it kind of threw me a bit of a curveball. So... I went to the local library. They had the Anthony Scaduto biography, which was about the only biography that was current at the time. And uh, I read that. And that year, 1978, Bob was news, you know, over here. He was playing Britain for the first time since the Isle of Wight in 1969. And I remember watching the BBC television news one Thursday evening. And there was a report in their main nine o'clock bulletin and it was about Bob returning to play in the UK for the first time 
since the Isle of Wight. And they had a bit of footage of Bob on stage at Earl's Court playing Baby Stop Crying, another song of Street Legal, the, the first single. Um, so that was me really experiencing another side of Bob Dylan, no pun intended. Um, and I, it just went from there. I would hear Changing of the Guards on the radio. That got quite a bit of airplay, as well as Baby Stop Crying, which was a, a lower end of the top 20 hit in the UK. And then I heard Is Your Love in Vain? And uh, I got that in 12-inch single because it was cheaper than buying the album. <laughs> and I liked the song. I still do, <laughs> which is why I'm here. <laughs> uh, it wasn't an extended or a special mix or anything of it. You know, when you think 12-inch single, 1978, you think disco remix or something. But it was <laughs> Bob's disco period would have to wait for Arthur Baker and Empire Burlesque. <laughs> but six years earlier, he was uh, he just had Israel Love and Vain on one side and We Better Talk This Over, another street legal track on the other side. No difference to the album cuts apart from they had more width on the record. So I guess they sounded uh, louder and better. Mm. Uh, so that was that was me getting to to Bob and Budokan album came out shortly after that as well, and that has "Is Your Love in Vain" on it too. So right, right. Uh, I was quite exposed to the song in my early days with Bob. So have you? Uh, I mean, at that point, were you just buying every all the albums? At that point, you became a fan. It was just like, all right, I'm on the train with this guy. Yeah, I think I wanted to get Budokan because it was current and. Sure. Uh, it had a poster in it and everything, and it just seemed an intriguing package. Uh, and I was intrigued by that period of Bob. You know, I was 14 or 15, and he was something like 37. You know, he was an older man, and he'd obviously been through stuff, and, and that intrigued me. Uh, I was used to getting into people from the 60s who were, you know, the Beatles in their prime. You know, they split up when George Harrison was, was 26, so... <laughs> Wow. This was a different thing from that youth point. I was looking at a grand old man, and, and that intrigued me. <laughs> ah, yes. Back in the days when 37 was a oh, yeah. grand old man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, have you have you seen Bob live? I have. I think I was counting it up, and I think it's about nine times. Uh, mm. The first time was two days after my 21st birthday. Nice. Yeah, that was July 5th, 1984, in uh, St. James Park soccer stadium in Newcastle and the first song he played was Highway 61 Revisited and it had Mick Taylor on guitar from the Rolling Stones and a British drummer who plays on Street Legal called Ian Wallace mm-hmm. so that was it was a sunny day it was the support bands were a local band called St. Um, Linda's Farm who were uh, a, a Newcastle townside band and Santana who I wasn't particularly into Right. But it, it was like a mini rock festival, and uh, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, that was my introduction. And I think, yeah, I think I've seen him about another eight times since then. Good, and occasionally not so good. I remember seeing him in 1991, early 91, and two nights in a row. And uh, I remember reading a review in the Melody Maker that said, uh, Dylan now resembles nothing so much as an alcoholic lumberjack on a Saturday night out in some Saskatchewan backwater, staggering around the stage in a huge plaid jacket and an odd little hat. And that was true. Wow. Uh, I, think, I think Bob was under the influence, shall we say, both hmm. those nights. But, uh, uh, yeah, and I think the last time I saw him, 
he did Visions of Johanna, and I, that was the only time I've seen him in the from the front row. So that was a real thrill for me. That's yeah. one of my oh, favorites. Wow. Yeah, oh yeah. I'm, it's funny we were talking about the, you're hearing the you know, the voice of a generation, and then you're just you're doing it through. I'll be your baby tonight, which is like, okay, really? <laughs> you know, it's like if yeah, I can imagine like if you had been told this guy's the genius, and someone had handed you visions of Johanna, you'd say, oh yeah, all right, okay, I get it. But yeah, I'll be your baby tonight. You're a little like, really? This this is what this is what everybody's crowing about? Well, absolutely, and it's not just the lyrics; it's the sound, right? Visions of Johanna, you can you can just tell it's special right from the get-go. Yeah. Um, and I'll Be Your Baby Tonight had no, none of those hallmarks in, in the production as well as the, the lyrics. Uh, so that was something that did, as I say, throw me a little bit at the time. Right. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I knew there was something there, but just scratched the surface. And, and listening to Budokan, and then I think I probably did get Street Legal after that, uh, then the the world of Dylan's strangeness and his flights of fancy with words uh, really sort of opened up for me for me from that point onwards. Right. So, all right. As a as a singer songwriter yourself, I mean, do you what do you feel like you can track the influence of of what he's done, either lyrically or sonically, or just just in a general approach to creativity? I would love to track it sonically. You know, there's nothing in the the world I would like better than to <laughs> sound like Bob did in Nashville in 1966. But, <laughs> uh, you know, I think the most influential thing that from Dylan, for me, any time I've, I've written a song was when I heard him being interviewed. It could have been in Don't Look Back or one of those press conferences. Uh, and people's, he was asked by a reporter, why do you write these songs? And his answer was something like, I write them because nobody says you can't write them. And that, to me, was totally liberating. It, it's like it didn't just remove what I thought might be the restrictions um, of whether the, what I was writing would go down with an audience. It sort of removed the restrictions that I might place in myself. It was that sort of liberating thing. Yeah, nobody does say that you can't write these things. Um, so, so so, just let your let your mind run free you know when when you're writing these songs um so i wouldn't say i've always adhered to to that but that really kind of kicked the the door open for me as far as approaching creativity uh, and Mm. and stepping outside the tram lines as a songwriter any sort of writer you can find yourself within sometimes you you just don't have to have them Um, because bob says you didn't you, Mm -hmm. you didn't and he proved it time and time again i mean he wrote outrageous songs from the get-go. And I think the, one of the reasons we love him is that he wrote those outrageous songs and he also rhymed Moon and Spoon in right. I'll Be Your Baby Tonight. Right, right. You know, both both these reasons are reasons that Dylan is is so great, I think. Yeah, I mean, when I, you know, I, I've never written a song. I wouldn't, wouldn't even know where to begin on how to do such a thing. I've always thought that if you had to, though, like everything that you're writing has to have a meaning in your head because mm-hmm. how else can you do it? And then I've, you know, heard enough interviews with Bob over the years to, that that's not the case. And I've heard that with other musicians that it doesn't always necessarily have to mean any given line doesn't have to mean something. It works in the moment. It either works or it doesn't. And you may not be able to have to have, you don't have to have some literal meaning to it, uh, but maybe something in the back of your head uh, is, is making you write it down in this way. And maybe you'll find a meaning later. Maybe you won't. 
Uh, maybe the listener will find a meaning later. Maybe they won't. But it doesn't always have to have uh, like a direct, this is what I'm trying to say in this line at this moment. Uh, and that's something that never occurred to me uh, probably until I started getting into Bob so heavily. Is that, I've heard, again, I've heard other people, I've heard Paul Simon say it, uh, where it's sometimes you just write something because it makes sense in that moment. Uh, is that something you've discovered when you're writing your songs? Yes, because there's so many different ways that you can end up writing a song. I actually think Paul Simon takes quite a nine-to-five office approach mm-hmm. uh, to his process, but he would probably sound more like a Tin Pan Alley songwriter had it not been for Dylan's influence on him way back when when he was starting out. Mm-hmm. I don't think without hearing Dylan, he would necessarily have written Sounds of Silence. Mm-hmm. So I think that sometimes you come up with nonsense syllables if the melody starts coming mm-hmm. and bob has you know is an artist that has certainly done that uh, i think um wiggle wiggle is often <laughs> you know uh, presented as a an example but i think he was probably thinking of otis redding because i remember the line that was most ridiculed in that song was wiggle wiggle like a bowl of soup <laughs> and i think that otis in his song shake says shake like a bowl of soup and nobody th- that's a great song and nobody thought that was that was substandard from Otis right. uh, so why should it be from Bob but that's probably consciously or subconsciously what he was thinking of because mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. he you know he almost worked with it. He, I think he wrote he wrote uh, with Otis in mind and like a few artists he had things in the pipeline for Otis before uh, Otis uh, died so I think it's it's feasible that that was behind that some sometimes you just write a kind of dummy line to get to the next line and then right that placeholder line yeah you, you try and fix it but it doesn't want to budge so you right. just leave it in there you know it's <laughs> that kind of deal and it's the way it's sung as well uh the most meaningful line in the world how much of communication is tone of voice and how much is the words it's something ridiculous like over 80 percent is the tone of voice. So that's mm. a huge factor as well, mm. I, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I will say, I, I, again, I've never written a song, but I've, I've done that in my when I've had to write articles about things where I have a bunch of random ideas and I don't have a way to string them together just yet. So yeah. I, put the, I just put them all down because I'm like, all right, I want to make sure I mention this. I want to make sure I mention this. I want to make sure I mention this. And then I'm like, then I go back and say, okay, how do I stitch these together so they're not just three random paragraphs? But I don't let... Yeah. The fact that I don't have a connective tissue at the moment stopped me from getting down the other ideas because they're important too. So yeah, that's, yeah, there's no wrong way to do it. Uh, and sometimes what you think this piece is about, or certainly a song, it's like a bay leaf. You know, you, you might have thought this was the integral part of the dish, but in actual fact, you take it out just before serving. So <laughs> that can happen as well that you lose the thread. And maybe that's why Bob has pulled certain songs that fans are mystified whether they're not on albums like Blind Willie McTell or some right. of the songs from Infidels uh, because the initial thing that he was shooting for wasn't in the final mix. But we don't know that, so we can enjoy them on our on their own terms. Absolutely, yes. He's talked about that. I remember specifically he mentioned something almost exactly that when he talked about the uh, uh, Caribbean Wind where he said oh, yeah. that the, the original inspiration that launched the song is he lost it by the time he was working on it for like the seventh time and mm-hmm. he just got discouraged and gave up. And yeah, like you're saying for us, we're hearing that initial version. We're like, this is great. 
Just, Absolutely. you know, just use this. And it's no, not quite. And now, now he's on version seven and it's like, wow, that thing I started with isn't even here anymore. So I love that. I love that cooking metaphor. That's wonderful. I don't know where that came from. It just entered my, my head. There you but, go. Perfect. <laughs> <That's a great laughs> Dylan's influence is, is upon me, but I think with, with Caribbean wind, you know, if it didn't have that, those backing vocals going whoosh, it would be even better. But that's my, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's the only thing I don't like about that song. It is great, though. I can remember, oh, again, I don't mean to get so far off, but I remember back when I was in art school, I had to do a, uh, we had caricature class, and I had to do a a painted caricature of Billy Joel. And I started painting this. I was never a good painter. I was better with other tools, but I was painting. And I started painting, and it, 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 the likeness was – I was never good at caricature on top of it, but the likeness mm. was okay. And as I kept working on the painting, it just kept further and further away from Billy Joel. <laughs> <laughs> just never, and I, it was almost like a freight train. I was like, Hi, wait a minute. What, what, what happened? And at one point, I think after, like, working on it for three solid days, the teacher finally came by and just said, look, I just – just move on like you know, yeah. it's just like you're gonna i'm gonna give you i'm gonna give you like a, a it wasn't like a failing grade but it was kind of like a, all right you it's the minimal grade i can get, mm-hmm. give you for the effort and and i was i just chucked it in the trash because it was i was so far away from where it started that it looked nothing like billy joe i mean it was just ridiculous so yeah i just was like i couldn't i couldn't grasp it you know I just yeah yeah i do know wrong. so I, yeah. so you couldn't say to billy joel i'm going to yeah. paint you just the way you're on <laughs> exactly i would never say that anyway so okay <laughs> so all right well here uh, that's all that is uh that's fantastic i love that cooking metaphor i really i'm going to use oh, that thank uh, you thank you very welcome that's really great you, so uh <laughs> So, all right, so let's talk about Is Your Love in Vain mm-hmm. from Street Legal. Um, I mean, this song, this is Bob pretty upfront about what it might take to be in a relationship with someone like him. I mean, uh, we all, you know, it's always a fool's errand to assume that any Bob Dylan song is necessarily about being Bob Dylan exactly. Um, mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, and you can transpose it to whatever. But this is, there are lines here that to me, you know, really uh, layer it on that clearly being uh, in romantically involved with some of Bob Dylan's stature, let's say, let's like Bob Dylan, but someone of his stature comes with, uh, yeah, it comes with some real nice bonuses. You know, you stay in nice hotel rooms and you fly all over the place in, in, uh, on jets, but it comes with some real downsides too. So I I quoted the initial uh, verse and then the song goes on. Are you so fast that you cannot see that I must have solitude? When I am in darkness, why do you intrude? Do you know my world? Do you know my kind? Or must I explain? Will you let me be myself? Or is your love in vain? And so, I mean, this is, he's, he's being pretty tough to whoever this intended lover is. Uh, he's really drawn some lines. I mean, I don't, I, what was it about the song that first grabbed you, Roy? It went back, I think, Rob, to the idea that this was an older man singing from somewhere that uh, was way beyond my life experience. And even the sound of his voice was more constricted and sounding like he'd been through something that I couldn't possibly imagine. So he sounded both vulnerable and hurt and in a way wise beyond my scope. Uh, so that was kind of alluring for me. Uh, just, and really just uh, you, where you were quoting the, the, the lyrics there, I use so fast that you cannot see that I must have solitude. The use of the word fast, that really stood out to me as different. Mm-hmm. I can't think of any other 
some way to that we'd use that particular word there. Uh, are you so blind that you cannot see you would expect? And Bob says, are you so fast? And you wonder, why is she fast? Mm-hmm. What is she? And, but you have this image of this woman as a sort of blur. So that, that sort of a, appeal to me. And do you love me or are you, are you just extending goodwill? Strange, almost sort of courtly language, extending goodwill. And it sounded so world-weary as well. And then when I tracked back and I heard things like Hurricane and Isis from Desire, those songs, and even on the misstep that was Joey, his voice sounds, <laughs> I just thought I'd put that in for you. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, Mike. You're welcome. His voice sounds assertive and confident. It doesn't really sound confident here. Uh, and I think that I also like the sound of the backing vocalists too. Um, they're like a comfort blanket, a cushion for Bob and it was nice, he, as a 15-year-old boy, it was nice for me hearing those those ladies singing in, in the background and just enjoyed the whole sonic experience. And it sounded like classic Bob with the organ, well, starting with the organ and the horns supporting it. But that organ was really, to me, kind of blonde and blonde Bob. And I think Bob, he gave an interview right that time where he described his sound as uh, trying to get back to the thin, wild Mercury sound. Right. And this was more of a sort of, well, it was more of a broad, stately Mercury sound. It, it, it had the elements of classic Bob, and I think he used that sound again when he did the the tour with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers around 86. And there's that video, uh, which I, I don't know if you've seen it, I guess you have, called Hard to Handle. Oh, yeah, the concert and, film, sure. Yeah, yeah, that's right, from Australia. And that has that sound to me. It's, it's led by the organ, and and it has that expansive sound. So it just seemed kind of like uh, Prime Bob, but also that little bit older and that little bit hurt and vulnerable. And he is he is post his marriage to Sarah at that point, and he's post the touring that he did with Rolling Thunder. So he's he's definitely been through something, and he's post Elvis. I think when Elvis died, from what I've read, that really affected Bob. Yeah, yeah. You know, but here he is with a white jumpsuit on stage and he's got Elvis's bass player, Jerry Chef. <laughs> so, you know, that kind of thing as well. When I discovered these little nuggets, that drew me into the whole street legal group of songs and recordings. And this song seemed the most elegant song on the record and one that was really something that could draw me in. To, to the mystery of, of where Bob was at as this 37-year-old guy that had done unimaginable things. Mm. Yeah, you mentioned earlier about, you know, being being younger and, and thinking of this guy who's older and seen some things. And, yeah, when I heard, heard this record, I was in my – I would have been in my very early 20s, uh, maybe even like 2021. 20, or No, it would have been about 20. And, and you know, yeah, I didn't have the kind of experience he was talking about. So, yeah, he this song, he is simultaneously sort of – um, pleading, but also kind of being a little standoffish, which is the, this wonderful tension here is that he's, he's sort of pleading for this person to be with him, but he's kind of warning them too. Uh, you know, are you really capable of this? Which is like a weird, you know, like it's, it's full of confidence, but yet not exactly. Yes, uh, it is. And, and he asks the woman, are you willing to risk it all? Mm-hmm. So it's definitely beware if you get with me. You know, there is unbelievable amount of, of uh, baggage here. And then he says in the 
the middle that I've been to the mountain and I've been in the wind and you're talking about Caribbean wind earlier mm-hmm. you know is it, he's been in the wind he's been blowing in the wind idiot wind uh, and also I, I think at the time that line I have dined with kings I've been offered wings but I've never been too impressed. I remember actually wondering if that meant that Paul McCartney had come to Bob at some point and <laughs> said, would you like to join my band? <laughs> that, would have, that would have been a hell of a tour. Uh, yeah, no, that, that verse, the third verse you just quoted, that's my favorite verse in the song, is that, well, I've been to the mountain, I've been in the wind, I've been in and out of happiness, which is, I love that, just yeah. the simplicity, in and out of, who can't relate to that? I've been in and out of happiness. I've been dined with kings. I've been offered wings, and I've never been too impressed. I love the way he sings that, and I've never been like he, he oh, kind of yeah. like you're like like goes down to a lower register. And totally. to me, that's that to me is so a Bob Dylan like that's that's a line from Bob Dylan's life because you know how many of us have dined with kings or offered wings metaphorically, but this guy has this guy. I mean, this guy. Uh, runs with a really kind of Tony crowd. You know, he has access to everybody. And the idea that he has probably met all of his heroes and met people of immense power and immense fame and immense uh, celebrity and wealth. And the idea, I've never been too impressed. I just, that, that was really the verse when I heard the song that just blared out at me. I was just like, wow, yeah, this is somebody who is looking for something a little more substantial. Most of us would be very entranced by, enormous wealth or enormous power or whatever. And, you know, Bob's lived in that world for so long and I've never been to, I'm looking for something a little more substantial, but that, that was really one of the, the, the verses that just made, made me love this record so much. I think it really made me smile when I first heard that as well. You know, that's the kind of line that makes you think, yeah, Bob, you're my guy, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's that shrug, like the shrug in ISIS where, <laughs> the woman says to him, you look different. And he says, well, I guess. <laughs> Great. You can, it's so visual as well. And the funny thing is, though, that that middle echoes to me. There's, there was a middle-of-the-road classic around this, the same time, probably about 76, 77, called I've Never Been to Me by a singer called Charlene. And that, that goes... Uh, I've been undressed by kings and I've seen some things that that a woman ain't supposed to see. I've been to paradise, but I've never been to me. And oh, God, I, I remember wonder, that song. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. I wonder if that was in Bob's inner ear when he came up with that or if he even wrote it as a sort of parody. You know, who knows <laughs> the layers that were going on? It, right. or, I can't believe because of the proximity of that tune being out in the summer of 77 and then bob writes this like his own take on that rather well when you saw charlene sing i'd never been to me on top of the pops over over here in the uk you couldn't really suspend your disbelief and think that she she didn't look like she was singing her own experience okay (laughs) okay as you say with bob you totally feel that and that killer line i've never been too impressed yeah, ah, that that was just again. I thought that was just such a great, uh, great line in the middle of the song. So then it wraps up with, uh, then he you know concludes. All right, I'll take a chance. I will fall in love with you, which is I love that line as as if it's yeah. sort of a choice that you can make mm. uh, to allow yourself to do it. Either you do it, or you're done. I'm if I'm a fool, you can have the night. 
You can have the morning too. Can you cook and sew, make flowers grow? Do you understand my pain? Are you willing to risk it all or is your love in vain? Now, the cook and sew line, mm, you know, that hasn't aged quite as well. That feels a little on the reductive side of like, well, you're my woman, so go cook and sew things. But okay, I, you know, I, I don't I don't take it as too literal a line exactly. I mean, I like the idea, can you make flowers grow? To me, that's that's a wonderfully beautiful line. I, I will say in my own personal life, my, my fiance has a, a garden and I, uh, I, I have no interest in gardening. I'm not good at it. I'm not interested in it. But I love it. I love that she does it. I love enjoying it. I go sit down on the balcony and enjoy it. And yeah. I'm glad that she does what she does. It makes her happy. And I get to reap the benefits without having to get my hands dirty, literally or figuratively. Uh, so I like that line quite a bit. I like that. Can you make flowers grow? I mean, that's, a, that's a beautiful thing to say to somebody. It is. I think that when I heard that, I, I actually heard... You can have the night. You can have the money too. Uh, oh. I misheard the line, and I thought okay. oh, well, Bob's this rich rock star, and uh, he's just going. He's he, but he doesn't really care about his his riches. If, uh, so she can take the money, um, and I think I I know what you're saying about the the lines about Coop and so. And I think later in his career in Infidels, when he did Sweetheart Like yeah. You, yeah, there was a similar issue. Yeah, I with it. I, to give Bob the benefit of the doubt, you say, well, he's playing with those concepts. You know, he's not necessarily, he's seen enough of life not to have a particularly rigid view of male and, and female roles. So I I would be inclined to be generous there. And I I hadn't thought about the the flowers grow line quite like that before, but, but I agree. And the thing is, that's really visual. You see those flowers. What I don't see is, understand my pain to me that's the flat line that's not a visual line i'll be your baby tonight paints more of a picture than than that that he's not showing us anything he's just telling us Mm -hmm. so that's one line that um it it rhymes but i don't think it's the best (laughs) line in the song and it does sound a little more self-pitying yes the rest of the song i would say there's a lot of self-pity on uh on street legal (laughs) i mean there's a lot of there's a real lot of so I mean again I can relate to that too uh you know uh, but but that's yeah there is a lot of that on this record and what do you what do you make of the overall um street legal sound because if you read these lyrics they read very dark and very personal and then if you if someone said to you hey you know what we're going to uh, the, the the sonic uh landscape for these songs is going to be this fat sax sound with a with a bunch of female backup singers, uh, you I think you know well, a lot of people would say like really that's the sound. It doesn't it, on paper. It doesn't seem like it would match that approach. Would it match the the songs that he's writing? And yet you know again, I think this is a really great record of his. I think the production's come in for criticism over the years, but I don't really get that. I think it's a great sounding record. I totally totally with you, and I think that the thing that is compatible with the lyrics is the sound is quite edgy and the, f- the sweetness of the female backing singers works because the music i think it was all recorded live yeah. and i don't think they yep. used boards to separate the musicians down yep. in rundown studios so i think there's a attention a word you you were using earlier and that suits the lyrics so yes perhaps you could imagine these lyrics going with a mournful piano-led sound but the sound that he achieved there with pretty much his the touring band that had come off 
the uh, the tour that resulted in that album at Budokan, I think, which is actually slicker than the sound of the studio album. I remember. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that works really well with uh, with the subject matter, and I think that's what draws me back to the to the record. There's a real atmosphere uh, from Changing of the Guards at the top of the album right the way through to Where Are You Tonight mm. at the end. Two of my favorites. Yeah. Oh, God, I love that. <laughs> I love those yeah, both great, those so very much. Sorry, so you mentioned Budokan. Uh, yeah, this uh, this song does appear on Budokan. Bob leads it off with a little comment where he says, see if you can guess, here's my next song, see if you can guess which one it is, which is <laughs> Bob yeah, having, yeah. Kind of, kind of having a laugh at kind of his own. I mean, later on, that would become epic, the guess oh, the yeah. song game at Dylan Conrad here, you know. Absolutely. I think he actually says, uh, yeah, yeah, here's an unrecorded song. You know, can you can you guess which one it is? So oh, did you see that? Did I yeah, that? yeah. Oh wow! I think that's okay. what he says. So that's a further tease for the fans. Wow. So people in the audience, what's he going to do? I'm not there. What's going on? Uh, <laughs> and it's 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 this one. Yeah, I I was in preparing for talking to you today. I was looking at some YouTube performances of early versions of it, and there's one from Tokyo on that tour. I think the first time he played it. And it starts off with a very typical Dylan harmonica solo. But when you listen to the Budokan record, I pulled out yesterday, it's not there. It just goes straight into the goes straight into the song. Mm-hmm. And then when he records it, it's this beautiful horn and organ arrangement. And I think the sax on and everything just uh, this. Uh, I think he's going for the. I think he's been affected by Elvis, and he's he, he he's going for a bit of Las Vegas, with Jerry Chefs on bass, and I think he's thinking Springsteen a little bit, and he's got Steve Douglas playing the sax, doing the kind of Clarence Clemens role. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of things coming together at the the one time, but what they add up to is well, it was my entry, more or less. I'll be your baby tonight, notwithstanding. That was my entry to Bob. <laughs> so first love never dies, you know? Right. <laughs> That's very true. Uh, this song has only been performed live 31 times uh, over the course of 1978, from February to December 1978, and then never again. Uh, I'm guessing maybe because it, it, it is so, the street, a lot of these street little songs are so uh, kind of dependent on that particular sound that he basically never replicated past Budokan the Budokan tour with the massive uh, bunch of, you know, the saxophone, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I guess maybe he figures it's not something um, that he wants to try and uh, have to reconfigure in his current setup, or it just could be, you know, we never know. It just could be one of these songs that like a lot of songs, he just doesn't have any real connection to anymore. And he's left it by the side of the road and there it's going to just stay. And then of course we, you know, we never know. He might pull it out one day <laughs> out of nowhere. He may all of a sudden start doing it. And it becomes one of the highlights of his new shows. You never know with him, but but so far, uh, this song has just uh, been left back in the uh, in the dust in 1978. Yeah, because he did that with when I paint my masterpiece, yep. which nobody was expecting. So there's always a a chance, I think. And he's been doing Lenny Bruce. I know that's also one of your not favorites of of, of Bob. But, yep. Uh, and then when he did the live version, it was great. So yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I think, though, that Lenny Bruce sort of recycles some of the melody of the, the middle part of Is Your Love in Vain. You know, I've mm. been to the mountain and I've been in the wind when he's he's singing, what is it, he's singing um, in, in, in Lenny Bruce. He sure was funny and he sure told the truth and he knew what he was talking about. That, to me, is a very similar cadence to huh. 
you know, it's your love and fame. Like what he did with the opening of Just Like Tom Thumbs Blues and Visions of Johanna, which are pretty much the same tune. And, you know, <laughs> That's amazing not? that you can spot things like that, because I can't hear those things at all. I the, you, when, when people point them out, I'm like, what, really? But that's amazing that, that, that those things have that uh, similarity and you can hear, you can pick up on those things. Well, I think when you're writing songs, when you're starting out, you unconsciously plagiarize quite right. a lot. Sure, sure. Even you yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So, how could you not? Yeah. yeah. Makes total sense. So it, you, you do develop that awareness, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Bob had that, I think, as well as extending that freedom I was talking about earlier, about I write these songs because nobody says you can't write these songs. I can rip myself off because nobody says you can't. Right. I mean, there's Van Morrison has used the same melody and arrangement for countless songs. It's a, a Neil Young album called Sleeps With Angels, where two of the songs in that album have exactly the same tune. And again, I put that down to Bob and also the, the blues guys, you know, because they, they, they often use the same the same melodies. So, yeah, Bob does extend that freedom to to do these things, and it doesn't seem like it's uh, some sort of people rehash. They're both great songs, certainly uh, just like Tom Thumbs Blues and Visions of Joanna. You, you, if you went to see Bob live, you'd, you'd definitely want to hear those ones. You wouldn't <laughs> yeah. care about the melody. Yeah. And he probably wouldn't even be singing the same melody anyway. Yeah, that's yeah right. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's completely true. Yeah, I mean, it said, Is Your Love in Vain? It's just a great song. It's one of the, it's one of the reasons why Street Legal, I think, among a lot of uh, sort of diehard Bobcats, is they love it so much. It's an underrated record. It was sort of panned at the time a little bit. Not, maybe, not, maybe not panned, but not it wasn't held in the same regard as say desire or blood on the tracks mm-hmm. and then of course you had slow train coming which is like a big very uh d- definitive turn but i i will always go to bat for street legal it's one of my all-time favorite records of his and so i'm really glad that we finally had a chance on the show to talk about uh, talk about it again talk about another one of the songs this is this is just terrific so thank you roy i really enjoyed talking about the is your love in vain well, thank you, Rob. Really enjoyed talking to you. And it's good to know that, that there are street legal fans out there because, as you say, it's really not appreciated the way that I think it should be. So if this encourages anybody to, to give that album another spin, that's great because I love it. And yeah. I'm really glad to hear you're a fan too. So thanks oh, very man. much. It's been real good fun. Well, oh, thank you. So, okay, so before I uh, before we do our traditional sign-offs, uh, we're going to start something new uh, with the show. I'm going to end uh, these episodes with a simple question. Uh, okay. And you're, you're going to be my test subject, Roy. You're the first person I'm going to get to ask this from. And, and this was inspired by a couple of uh, weeks ago, months ago, maybe at this point, there was a video that went around. Uh, an interview with Tony Garnier. Everyone knows who Tony Garnier mm-hmm. is. And uh, there was a, they were talking about the pandemic and different things. And so at one point, Tony said something along the lines of, when we go back on the road, not if we go back on the road, when right. we go back on the road. And of course, as all Bob uh, Dylan fans uh, like to do, we take every single word and, and put it under a microscope and pull yeah. it apart and, and examine it down to the micro the, the molecular level. And so everyone got very excited that that seemed to indicate that, that obviously plans are afoot uh, in the Bob Dylan camp to go back on tour as soon as possible. And now that so much of the world is getting vaccinated and we're opening things up, uh, where everyone is very excited at the idea of being able to see Bob Dylan once again. So 
I thought it would be fun to ask uh, my guests as we go along uh, one simple question. So let's let's imagine, Roy, you are mm-hmm. seeing Bob for the first time again post-COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, my question to you is, what song would you want to hear Bob open your first concert with? And there is no wrong answer. This is not, I'm not asking you what song do you think he'll do it, okay. or, or, or what he is likely to do. I'm saying literally in this scenario, this fantasy scenario, Bob Dylan comes to you, Roy, and says, hey, hey, Roy, uh, <laughs> what's, what song? It could be a cover. It doesn't have to be even a Bob Dylan song. What song would you want to hear Bob open his first COVID show with? So what, what is your answer? Well, my answer is, do you ask Billy Joel these questions? <laughs> and my second answer is, I think Groom's Still Waiting at the Altar. Okay. Because it's a rocker. It's one of those songs that Bob didn't release at the time um, because of probably what we were talking about. The Bayleaf got lost in the mix. Mm-hmm. So I just think it's a kick-ass rocker. And, yeah, it has... It, it really grooves. So I, either that, well, I'm not going to say another one because that's not fair, but I'm thinking of the <laughs> TV appearance he did in Letterman oh, in yeah. 1984. So that has that kind of vibe for me. It just crunches from the word go. Yeah, yeah. And the whole audience would be, I mean, they would be bouncing. They would be rocking. The sprung floor would be levitating. So I think that has to be off the top of my head, has to be my answer. All right, fair enough. I said, part of the reason, I mean, obviously anyone who's listening to the show uh, going forward knows that the question is coming, so they're going to have a chance. To, <laughs> you, you, were, you were not given that opportunity, Roy, so I appreciate you uh, coming up with it. But I also figured it was anyone, any future guest that knows they're going to get this question, don't overthink it. Just what's your yeah. first answer? Like that, you know, there's no wrong answer. What's your? Fr- it's kind of like we were, we were talking about earlier about lines that come to you and they may not have a meaning and they'll have, they may have a meaning later, but in the moment you wrote it, it didn't have a meaning. It's whatever pops, what song pops in your head first. So that's a great answer. I mean, again, there was well, no bad you. answer, but that's yeah. a great answer. I'd love to hear it. I love that song. Uh, I'd love to hear him do that. And that would certainly be an incredible up-tempo. And we've all been waiting for Bob to return to concerts. Mm. You've got the word waiting in it for Pete's sake. So <laughs> yeah, that, that, that did cross my mind, yeah. That flashed <laughs> in my mind. And All right. the group's still waiting. It's like, yeah, but am I going to deliver? You're waiting, yeah. but am I going to deliver? Because it's that <laughs> tension. The group's still waiting at the altar. So, yeah. And, of course, you're done very small. That's right. That's a great answer. So, all right, thank you so much, Roy. I appreciate uh, you being my test subject for, for this questionnaire that we're going to do on the show uh, going forward, at least until Bob starts uh, touring again. So, Roy, why don't you tell people where they can find you on the Internet? Well, my main site these days is my Bandcamp site, which is my name, RoyMuller.bandcamp.com. And on Twitter, I under the handle Pop Staples Telly, as in Pop Staples from the Staples Singers and his guitar, a, a Telecaster. So it's Pop Staples Telly. <laughs> All right, perfect. So, okay, thanks everybody for listening. Of course, you can find back episodes of the show on our website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. We're talking Bob over on Twitter at pod underscore Dylan. And then finally, if you want to support the Fine Water Podcast Network, please go to patreon.com slash FW Podcast. And there you're going to log various rewards. 
one of which is to be name-checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Max Hutzel, Sebastian Krug, and George Doherty for their support of Pod Dylan. I very much appreciate it. So that's going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you later. Bye.